If I were to ask you to list your very favorite Bible characters, you might come up with something like Abraham or with Paul or Peter, Mary or Ruth or Esther. I, I can almost guarantee that if I were to have you write all those down and pull them in and I were to go through and read them all, that not a single person would say, you know what, my favorite character in all the Bible is Epaphroditus. In fact, some of us hear that name and we think, Epaphra who? This is not a main character. He doesn't get much screen time in the Bible. He's one of those supporting characters that sometimes just kind of blends into the background. But if we didn't have this character, then things would not go as they ought to. He's only mentioned in two Bible passages, and both of them are found in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Epaphroditus was the man that the church at Philippi had used to send their gift and their message to Paul. But the passage that really talks about what a great man and a great servant of God Epaphroditus was and why he really ought to be one of our favorite characters in the Bible is found in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. And there Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Did you notice how the brethren at Philippi and how Paul himself thought about Epaphroditus, the way they viewed him and what they recognized about him? Paul said that God spared Epaphroditus' life because God didn't want to cause Paul sorrow on top of sorrow. That is how much Paul thought of Epaphroditus. That when that man died, Paul was going to have sorrow on top of sorrow. The Philippians were anxious about him because they had heard that he was close to death. They were concerned. They were worried. This was a man they loved. This was a man they cared for. And Paul then told him, receive this kind of man with joy and honor him. Now just think for a moment. Isn't that the kind of person that we want to be? Don't we want to be the kind of person that when our life is on the line, folks look at us and they're going to miss us? Don't we want to be the kind of person that folks look at and say, that person has had a positive impact in what we're doing, has had a positive impact on me, and I'm going to have sorrow on top of sorrow when they're gone? And I know we're not saying these things in a sense of selfishness and self-righteousness, but, but we don't want to be the kind of person that walks in and out of people's lives and they never know us and they never care and, and we die and it's over and they don't ever miss us. We don't want to be that kind of person. We want to be like Epaphroditus. And tonight I'd like for us to take a look at what it was, what Paul said. He lines out five characteristics 
that made Epaphroditus such a great servant of God, such a powerful positive impact in the lives of the Philippians and in Paul's life. I'd like for us to take a look at those in verse 25 tonight. Before we do, would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty, glorious Father in heaven, we pray that you help us to become like Epaphroditus. Help us to be your workers. Help us to be soldiers in your army. Help us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be trustworthy messengers and faithful ministers. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to be your servants and to serve one another. Most of all, Father, we pray that you help us to become like your son Jesus, who died on the cross for the remission of our sins, who humbled himself in obedience. Help us to also have that humility and that desire to serve and honor and glorify you. Strengthen us with unity here that we may be able to glorify your name, that we may be able to draw people into your fold, that folks can be taken out of the sinful world and brought into your righteous kingdom. We look forward to that new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Help us to strengthen one another and to lean on one another and to lift one another up so that we might glorify and honor you above all things. We love you, Father, and we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. There in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, Paul said, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Five characteristics. If we want to be a man like Epaphroditus, if we want to become Epaphroditus, if we want folks to look on us as these did Epaphroditus, then we need to make these five characteristics our own. The first one, he says, he's my brother. And I recognize that in a technical sense of this term, Paul may simply be saying he's a brother in Christ. But I don't think that's the extent of Paul's point. He's not just saying that technically here's another fellow that's been baptized into Christ, and so through the blood of Jesus we're brothers. Rather, I find it interesting in this list of five characteristics as he's describing the humility and service and and, and the nature of Epaphroditus, the very first one that he used was the term of affection. He wasn't merely saying, here's another person that's been baptized into Christ. He was saying, here's the person who is my brother. They were tied by the bonds of brotherly love. If we want to become like Epaphroditus, we've got to be brothers or sisters. We have to have that affection for one another. Interestingly, when you look in 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter makes what to me, honestly, when I've studied it, was one of the most surprising statements in all the Scripture. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, and some translations say love, for a sincere love, I would expect for a sincere love of God. We purified our souls so we could love God, but that's not what it says. It says, since you've been born, excuse me, back up to verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren or brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter points out that this is one of the reasons we were purified. This is one of the reasons we allowed the truth to wash us clean. So we could love as brothers and sisters. If we want to be this person that Epaphroditus was, if we want to be the kind of person that a Paul could look at and say, that's someone you need to honor. That's someone that when they're gone, I'm going to have sorrow upon sorrow. We need to be a person who loves brotherly. What are we going to look like when we're brothers and sisters? 
I think of a few passages, and, and no doubt we could turn to numerous passages, but, but here's just a couple. I think of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Paul said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we are brothers and sisters, this is how we're going to live. We're going to put away the malice, the wrath, the anger, the slander, and we're going to put on kindness, tenderheartedness and compassion, and forgiveness for one another, patience with one another. That's what we're going to look like. Flip over into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. There Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. This is Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When we're living as brothers, this is how we're going to live. Putting others before ourselves. And then I think about Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17. There the proverbialist said, Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Brothers are there through adversity. Brothers and sisters stick by one another through adversity, which takes us to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we want to become Epaphroditus, we need to be these kinds of brothers and sisters. Loving, affectionate, caring, tender-hearted, putting others before ourselves, bearing one another's burdens, being there throughout the adversity. If we want to become Epaphroditus, we cannot be fair-weather friends. We've got to be burden-bearing brothers. But then Paul went on. Not only was Epaphroditus a loving brother, Paul said he is a fellow worker. Now, those of you who are in the business world who like to read the business literature, the management books and the self-help books and the teamwork books and leadership, John Maxwell, Kim Blanchard, and those kind of things, Stephen Covey, you're really going to like this. Because the word here for fellow worker is synergos. And if any of you have read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that word sounds familiar to you because it sounds like synergy. Anybody heard that word before? Synergy. That's the word, that's where synergy comes from. It comes from this word here. Synergy is the concept of the exponential amount of work that we're able to accomplish as we work together. A biblical example of it is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, the Bible there says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm when he is alone? You see, the two working together can accomplish more than when they work separately. Synergy, fellow working, is the concept of taking one plus one and getting three or four or five. A great illustration of this. I'm told there's a story of the horse pulling competition. And the, the 
number one horse pulled 5,000 pounds. And the number two horse pulled 4,000 pounds. And so they decided when the competition was over, let's just yoke them together for kicks and see how much they can pull. Now remember, one did 5,000, one did 4,000. What would we expect? 9,000 pounds. Actually, when they yoked them together and they pulled together, they pulled 12,000. You see, working together, they were able to accomplish more than if both of them were working separately. And that's the kind of man Epaphroditus was. Epaphroditus was the kind of man that when he worked with Paul, they were able to accomplish more than if they had just both been working separately. It's not just the idea that they came together and added work. When Epaphroditus came along, work multiplied because of the kind of worker he was. As you consider this point, he says, fellow worker, there's two points in that. Number one, Epaphroditus was, in fact, a worker. He was not an attender. He was not a pea warmer. He was a worker. He didn't sit around waiting for everybody else to work so that he could reap the benefits. He got up off his lazy backside and he got to work. And Paul said, honor that kind of person. He's a worker. But there's a second point here. He wasn't just a worker. He was a fellow worker. He worked alongside Paul. Do you understand what that concept is? Fellow worker. See, a pastor could work, and he didn't have to work alone. He didn't have to work so that he received all the glory. He didn't have to be the lead dog. He was happy to be a team player. He was happy to work alongside others. And when we talk about the concept of fellow working, we cannot get away from the concept of unity, a unity that Paul had already described in this letter that we're reading tonight in Philippians. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and full, being in full accord, and of one mind. This is the kind of unity that we need to strive for if we're going to be a Epaphroditus, working alongside other workers. And if we want to become Epaphroditus, we've got to learn to be fellow workers. But Paul didn't stop there. He increased it. Not only was Epaphroditus a fellow worker, Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. When we think about fellow workers, that makes us think of discipline and commitment. We see sacrifice there because we're going to have to sacrifice some recreation and entertainment and relaxation to work in the kingdom. But when we heighten it to fellow soldier, it talks about doing all of those things in the face of enemy fire. When I think about fellow workers who became fellow soldiers, I can't help but think of the story in Nehemiah chapter 4 and the wall building. The people were fellow workers as each of them were building their section of the wall. But notice what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 15. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 15, when our enemies had heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, this is Nehemiah 4.16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spear, shield, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. 
Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Here are fellow workers that had become fellow soldiers. They had commitment. They had discipline. They had teamwork. But then the enemy found out about it. And there are a whole lot of Christians who are willing to be fellow workers. There are a whole lot of Christians who are willing to put their shoulder to the grindstone until they find out that the world and the religious mainstream don't like us for it. And when they start throwing out the pot shots, and when they start persecuting and oppressing and calling us names and saying mean things about us, there are some folks that want to just back off and, and maybe we can just kind of blend in with all the religious folks out there because we don't want to stand out and face the enemy fire. But we can't do that. Epaphroditus wouldn't do that. Epaphroditus was not only a fellow worker, he was a fellow soldier. We are fighting a fight. We are in a war. We are in a battle. And if we want to be like Epaphroditus, if we want to be the kind of person that Christians look at and say, I'm going to miss them when they're gone, we've got to step up to the plate and be willing to be fellow soldiers. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by then you may wage the good warfare. And in chapter 6 and verse 12, the first statement in that verse, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. That's what we're doing. That's what we need to be doing. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. He said, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. We've got to put on the armor of God, and we've got to step onto the battlefield being soldiers in the Lord's army if we want to be like a pastor dies. But we need to make one more comment about this. Because I have to tell you, sometimes it seems among our brethren, that if there are any of these characteristics that we have down, it's the characteristic of fighting. The problem is, far too often, we're not fighting the right enemy. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see, Paul said about Epaphroditus, he wasn't just any kind of soldier. He wasn't just out there fighting. He was a fellow soldier. United with the other soldiers of Christ, fighting the true enemy together. We have to be careful. We have to make sure that we're not fighting each other, but together in ranks fighting the enemy of God. That's our role. If we want to be like Epaphroditus, we've got to be fellow soldiers. Then Paul kind of shifted gears a little bit, and he points out that Epaphroditus was a trustworthy Messenger. There in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, when he says that, that Epaphroditus was the messenger of the Philippians, that word translated messenger is apostolos. Does that sound familiar? Can you guess which word we commonly use that comes from that? Apostolos? Does that sound anything like apostle to you? 
That word apostolos really means one who is sent. He was the messenger. And as we take a look at this, we kind of wonder, what, what's the benefit here? What, what is the characteristic here? And I think Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 6 helps us understand the characteristic that's most beneficial from Epaphroditus. Look in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 6. Proverbs 26 and verse 6 says, Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. See, when we learn that Epaphroditus was a messenger, one that the Philippians could send, we learn that Epaphroditus wasn't a fool. Epaphroditus was a man who was trustworthy. Epaphroditus was a man that they could look at and say, this is a guy who's going to get the job done, he's going to do it well, and we can trust him with it. Look again at Philippians 4.18, that other passage that mentions Epaphroditus. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. See, Epaphroditus wasn't just going with a letter to give to Paul. They had put funds, they had put money, they had put material things in Epaphroditus' possession to take to Paul so that Paul could live and be provided for in his work. You see what that means about Epaphroditus? How easy it would have been for Epaphroditus to get outside of Philippi and say, hey man, I can make it to Athens and I can live for a couple of months. But they recognized that Epaphroditus was trustworthy. We can put these funds in Epaphroditus' hand and they're going to get to Paul. We can put this gift in Epaphroditus' possession and it's going to get to Paul. Epaphroditus was trustworthy. If we're going to become like Epaphroditus, we have to be trustworthy. If we have an assignment, get it done. If we agree to accomplish something, we got to get it done. If we say that something is just so, it needs to be just so. Can people trust us? As Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. When we say yes, the answer better be yes. When we say no, the answer better be no. Can people trust us? Because that's what Epaphroditus was like. A trustworthy messenger. And finally, the fifth thing that Paul said about him was that Epaphroditus was a minister. That does not mean that Epaphroditus was a preacher. We have allowed in our modern world this word minister to become a title that it had never been intended at all. Minister is a description. It's a servant. We're all supposed to be ministers. But one of the most interesting things about this term is that the word that we most commonly think of for servant or for minister is not used here. That word is diaconus, from which we get our word deacon or servant in the church. But this is a different word. It's liturgos. And according to Strong's and some of the other lexicons, they point out that that word and the family that it comes from originally referred to a public official who served at his own expense. I mean, think about it. David. When you were mayor, did they pay you a whole bunch of money? See? There you go. Liturgos. All right? A public servant, official, who served at his own expense. And so when Paul talked about Epaphroditus, and he talked about his being a minister, he wasn't just highlighting the service, 
he was highlighting the sacrifice that went along with the service. It's not just any service, it's sacrificial service. You see, there are lots of people that are willing to serve as long as it doesn't get in the way of my favorite TV show. There's lots of people who are willing to serve as long as it's not going to cost me too much money or take up too much of my time. There's lots of people who are willing to serve as long as they can get to it after they get Junior to a soccer practice, practice and little Sally to her uh, uh, piano recital. There's lots of people that are willing to serve as long as it doesn't cost me much. But Epaphroditus was a person who was willing to serve at his own expense. Sacrifice. And when we look at Philippians 2, do you realize how deep that sacrifice went? Verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service for me. The interesting thing here is this doesn't, in the context, this is not a nearly died as a martyr. This was not, he was nearly captured by the Jewish Sanhedrin and they almost executed him. Apparently, whatever he did, he served so much, he expended so much of himself that he got sick and almost died. That's how much he was willing to push and sacrifice in order to serve the Philippians and in order to serve Paul and therefore to serve God. What an amazing sacrificing servant. And yet today, how many Christians say, oh, I'm all into that serving thing, but now listen, let's not take it too far. I've got to take care of me first. Let's not get too wild and crazy with this serving thing. Got to look out for number one. But Epaphroditus pushed himself so hard he almost died. That's sacrifice. Now, no, I'm not saying that if you don't come near to death that you're not really serving others. I'm just trying to highlight the sacrificial nature of service that we see from Epaphroditus. If we want to be like Epaphroditus, we have to be this kind of sacrificing servant. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 says, Hebrews 13 and verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for, with such, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good and to share. For, with, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's tough when you change translations, getting them mixed up. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrifice is pleasing to God. This is Epaphroditus. Loving brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, trustworthy messenger, sacrificing minister. What about us? You know, Epaphroditus didn't take the lead role in the Bible. He wasn't the headliner on the billboard. He was just a supporting character. A few sentences here or there. but I think Epaphroditus is a star. And when he stands before God in judgment, he's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your Lord. We don't have to be the lead dog. We don't have to be the person in the front. We don't have to be the person that receives all the accolades. But if we're this kind of person, if we're 
a loving brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, trustworthy messenger, sacrificing minister. We're going to impact others. And it's not that we want all those accolades that, that they miss us when we're gone. But it's the fact that we did something that when we're gone, there's a hole there. That's the kind of people we need to be. How you doing on that?